beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to come together with the body of believers to worship you in song and in prayer and uh, in diving into your word. We lift up those who uh, are home, who are sick, who weren't able to make it this morning. Uh, as Pastor Rob said, we, we pray that you would heal them quickly, give them a speedy recovery, um, and that you would strengthen those of us who are well, keep us from illness, and uh, stir our hearts to love and good works for those who aren't able to be here. I pray that our time this morning would honor you, Lord, that we would be faithful to your word, that it would be a blessing to our people, that your, your truths would stir in our hearts, would provide us with a, a confident hope in you. And I pray, Lord, that if it's your will, if there are those here this morning who have not turned from their sin and entrusted their life to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be making dead hearts new. All of this because of Christ. Amen. Our Advent candle today is the candle of hope. When we consider the birth of Jesus, we must ask why this event was so full of hope. There is, of course, the hope of new life for Jesus as a baby. Every mother has looked into the eyes of her child with such hope for its future, what its days may look like, who it may become. For us, uh, Christmas falls very near the end of the year. And there always seems to be this um, hope of a new year and new beginnings, that, that things might be uh, fresh and different this go-around. Can you believe it's already almost over? Where did 2022 go? However, when it comes to the person of Jesus taking on a human nature and being born of a virgin, there's a different kind of hope involved. This is a hope that was long looked forward to. A hope of our first parents when God first presented the gospel in the garden at Adam and Eve's exile. Found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, as God hands down the curse to the serpent, we see the proto-evangelion, the first gospel. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
This was the hope of a nation of Israel for thousands of years as they eagerly awaited the Savior to come. Consider the reality that though many people had heard of the promised Messiah and they had hoped in his redemption through faith, they did not live to see the day when he arrived. Hebrews 11.39 And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. If that's a little confusing, we're going to come back to this passage later on, so just hold tight. One of the things that I often say to uh, our students is when you're reading the Bible, you have to remember, it really helps bring Scripture to life, that these events were real people, real historic events. Joseph was really a man, and he was really betrothed to Mary. He really found out that his fiance, his future wife, was pregnant. There really was an angel who spoke to Joseph in a dream. When you consider those realities, when we don't read it as if it's just a good old story, it really reminds us of the humanity of the things happening and then how we should be applying those realities to our life today. The arrival of Jesus and what he accomplished on behalf of his people is also what we hope in through faith. Hope is one of the greatest realities surrounding the birth of Christ. Church, I I pray that in and through our time this morning, your hope would be rejuvenated. I pray that you would have a renewed hope in the salvation of your Lord and, by God's grace, if you have not believed upon Christ and turned from your sin, I pray you would know true hope today through repentance and faith. I read a larger portion of our text this morning than what I want to focus in on for our time together. Uh, I typically like to do this so that you have some more context uh, to start with so that when I unpack the text, you kind of have that in mind. This morning, what I want to do is, is look closely at verse 21. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel of the Lord who spoke to Joseph in a dream told him that she, Mary, will bear a son. It's an interesting portion of the verse that can be easily overlooked. But when we turn to the last portion of the text that we're going to focus in on, It will prove to bring more helpful clarity. Notice the certainty of the words used here. The angel told Joseph, Mary will bear a son. Now, we may not think much of this in our day. But during that time, and particularly under the old covenant law, there were many dangers for Mary and for this child. A young woman, pregnant, out of wedlock, Even if her future husband Joseph were to divorce her quietly, religious leaders could have taken matters into their own hands as they were known to do in the time. There are a multitude of things that could have happened, if not for the sovereignty of God over all things. So when we see Scripture declare that Mary will bear a son, we can know for certain that this will happen, and it did. Now consider Joseph. He was hoping for this marriage. He was probably eagerly looking forward to it. 
When he found out Mary was pregnant, he surely would have been saddened by the news and what it would mean for his plan, right? Then an angel appears to him in a dream and tells him, go forward with the marriage, Joseph. The child in her womb was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now perhaps Joseph heard this news and was excited, but surely without the clarity of knowing future events, Joseph had to be worried a bit, right? I don't know about you, but the responsibility of raising my own children is heavy enough. Can you imagine the responsibility of raising a child conceived of the Holy Spirit? However, the rest of the verse uh, and what the angel had told Joseph surely must have brought reassurance to this reality. The passage continues, And you shall call him, his name, Jesus. Now, if you've read much of your Bible, you will see that God changes the names of many people, just like Jesus would do with some of the 12 disciples that he chose. Names were very important in this time. They were very purposeful. Often the name was given with the hopes that the the person receiving the name would fulfill the meaning of the name. Oftentimes, the name was given to, to show who your family was, where they came from, what they did. The English translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which meant healer, physician, or savior, is the name Jesus. Now we can tell from the passage alone the purpose of naming this child Jesus, but I don't want to get too far ahead of the text yet. Consider for a moment the reality that the name of Jesus would carry such meaning. Jesus is indeed referred to now as the great physician. He's often called healer, and of course he is our Savior indeed. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus uses the illustration of a physician in reference to himself. What he refers to, though, has much greater depths than just physical healing. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now clearly Jesus is referring to himself in this illustration and declaring himself to be the physician. But not of temporary illness, even though he did most certainly heal many temporary illnesses during his ministry. Rather, Jesus took the illustration and he applied it to salvation, those whom he calls unto salvation. Not just salvation, but salvation for the worst of sinners at the time. Perhaps that would bring some hope to some of you here this morning. So we see in the very name that Joseph was told to give to Jesus these amazing truths about this child who was to be born of Mary. The last part of this verse and the focus of our hope and our time this morning only solidifies the first two parts that we looked at so far. I'm going to read the whole verse again. Matthew 1, 21. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, no doubt if you've been here at our church with us for some time, you've heard us teach on this passage or point to it in various lessons. Perhaps you've read through the Gospels a handful of times and you've always appreciated this verse, but church, we really cannot slow down enough when we consider what is being unpacked here. Mary most certainly will bear a child. The child will be a son. This child will have a name that has deep meaning. And Joseph will call him this name because of what he, the child, will do. Remember, when we see the word for in Scripture, we can almost always use the word because in its place. You shall call him Jesus because. Why is Joseph being commanded by the angel of the Lord to call his baby Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. Church, as certain as it was that Mary would bear a son, as certain as it was that Joseph would not divorce Mary, and that he would give this child the name Jesus, is the very same certainty that we can know that Jesus will save his people from their sins. I emphasize the clarity of these words because it's so easy to read right over them and not consider the weight of them since they're such common words that we use nowadays and we typically don't use them with the proper meaning. How many times have you told somebody you will do something and then you didn't do it? Happens to all of us, right? But here in the scriptures, we can be certain that if God declares something will come to pass, it most certainly will. This child, against all odds, would be born. He would complete the work the Father sent him to do. Consider the fact that even King Herod would send soldiers to try and kill this child, but he would be unsuccessful. Matthew 2:16. Then Herod, when he had saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Can you imagine the fear King Herod must have had about this child? To kill all the male children of a single town and region who were two or under? And yet Jesus lived. Why? Well, again, because his work was not finished. God had warned Joseph again through an angel to flee Bethlehem before Herod's men could get there and carry out this wicked act. Church, over and over again, we see in the truth of Scripture, God sovereignly working out every single detail of his eternal plan of salvation, and that through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to draw us back to our focus Jesus was given his name for because he will save his people from their sins. Think deeply about this, church. A boy, 
born of a virgin, is named by God through Joseph because he would do everything that the name he was given meant. When we think about hope, we must see this blessed assurance that Jesus will indeed save his people from their sins. I can think of nothing that brings me more hope than the truth that Jesus will save me. Not simply that Jesus made salvation possible. Our passage in Matthew says nothing of possibilities. Not one drop of possibilities in there. The passage declares with absolute certainty that Jesus will save his people from their sins. We've got to see how faulty the uh, Jesus made salvation possible theology is in light of what Scripture clearly declares. Jesus will save his people. The Scriptures declare that Jesus has a people and that he will save them from their sins. Church, this is amazing. God the Son enters into his own creation by assuming a human nature and being born a child to a virgin through the conception of the Holy Spirit. Verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 1 declares that this would happen to fulfill the prophecy. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christian, God with us. The only hope any man has ever had since the beginning of time is God with us. God the Son assuming a human nature to do all that was required of us in our place. This God with us prophecy was pointing to the birth of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The person of Jesus has always eternally possessed a divine nature. He has always been God the Son. At the incarnation, he in his person assumed a second nature, which is fully human. The creator of all things stepped into creation through assuming this human nature. Church, Jesus is God with us. Now, Josh intends to teach on this in greater clarity, but I wanted to at least point to these things as the text does so we can rightly understand our hope in Christ. I must ask you, church, when you, when you ponder these things, when you think about these things, when you read this in Scripture, are you not stunned? Does it not stir your heart to an overwhelming worship of your Creator? God the Son assumed a human nature in order to obey God the Father perfectly in our place. He did this so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for sinners through his very own blood. The one who created all things took on a created nature so that in and through it he could fulfill the righteous law of the Father and suffer and die in the place of ill-deserving sinners. We must not forget the gravity of such things, church. 
It, it must stir our hearts to worship our good God. And perhaps it would help to remember that God did not and does not owe mankind any of this. God cannot be put into the debt of man. Romans eleven thirty four and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Church, God does not owe salvation to anyone. It is all of grace that God would save a single soul. God also was not in any kind of need. God did not need to create man because there was some void that he was trying to fill. God was not in need of anything. God is the only self-sufficient being that exists. So think about this. An unobligated God who had no need of anything outside of himself chose not only to create man, but to create man in his very own image, knowing that it would cost him the human life of God the Son in order to redeem man, who would, after being created, turn from God to sin in their rebellion. And yet God is so merciful that he did all of this at zero cost to us whom he saves. This is the God that we hope in, church. This is the God who does all things for his glory and for our good. No man could invent or dream up a God like the one true God. So when we consider the words carefully of Matthew 121, what we see is a, a certainty from the only true God, the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who declares the beginning from the end. If God declares that Jesus will save his people, then we can rest assured that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Said before, church, not one single drop of the blood of Christ was spilled in vain. Jesus did not hope that his sacrifice would be sufficient. He knew it would be. Jesus did not hope that his people would believe in him. He knows they will. He makes certain that they will, church. God is the one who gives us new hearts and grants us repentance and faith. All of this, the sacrifice, our salvation, the belief in Christ Jesus, it is all a gift from God to us whom he has saved. And this is incredible. It should fill you with such confidence, such certainty of your salvation that nothing can move it. No amount of your own failing, no amount of your uh, worldly chaos, no amount of personal suffering, nothing can change what God has declared to be true. If God has given you faith, if you trust in Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, nothing will remove you from God, not even your own self. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In a world full of uncertainty, we who trust in the Lord have a rock-solid foundation upon which we stand. This foundation of God, of his sovereignty, his faithfulness, his ability to do all that he has declared he will do, even his inability to lie, is the sure ground that we stand upon. God's saying is his doing. If God declares he will do something, it is as sure as if he has already done it. Now we... Christians, believers, have this rock-solid foundation through our faith. This foundation is not something we simply hope for. Like, we aren't kind of keeping our fingers crossed. I hope he comes through. It's something we hope in, but not the kind of hope that is a wishful thinking, that is maybe a, a twinge of nervousness that it might not happen. This foundational truth that Jesus will save his people is something that we as Christians have, and we have it with certainty. We possess it as genuine believers in the one true God. It is ours through faith. Our faith is an assurance of the things hoped for. Our faith is not a a wishful hoping that the things of God or the things that God has promised will come to pass. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to put the whole passage on the screen because I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, It's a pretty awesome chapter, but I'm going to start with a few verses, say a few things, and then read the rest of the chapter. So open your Bibles there. I'm going to give you a second to get there. Hebrews chapter 11. Still hear pages turning, so... Take your time and find it. It's okay. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, church, faith is not a wishful hoping. It is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction is is the certainty. You know you are convicted that it is true, even though you haven't seen it. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. If you are a Christian... You believe that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing, that there was nothing, that God spoke, and that everything that exists came into being through his word. That is something that you did not see, right? But you know it with certainty. Church, I hope you see how faith and hope are connected. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We hope in a lot of things. But our faith is the assurance that the things we hope for will come to pass. In this, faith is really superior to hope. 
That being said, many use these terms, faith and hope, kind of synonymously. And I believe you have the right, if you have the right understanding of faith and hope, then it's okay to use them synonymously. So long as you do not apply hope to God and his promises in the way the world uses hope as if there's a possibility that it might not actually happen, right? We don't use the word hope as if it's possible that God may not do what he has declared. When we as Christians use the word hope in regards to God, what we mean, or should mean at least, is we have faith and the assurance that what we hope for in God will come to pass. Knowing that he will keep his word brings us hope. We know it will. It's not a question of if it will, but more of a question of when it will. So we may say we hope in Christ during hard times, and indeed, Christians, we, we do, we must, right? But we do not mean it as if we think it's possible for Christ to fail us. Rather, we mean that our faith is rock solid in Christ. And we are sure, we are certain that the things that we have in Christ will be ours. We simply don't know exactly when it will come to pass. We don't know how long we will be experiencing that difficult time, that hard thing. We mean faith in the sense that we know what we hope for is sure. It is certain. We will have it. God will accomplish all that he has promised. Read with me now the rest of the chapter of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 4 to the end of the chapter. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Man, the people must have thought that guy was a looney tune at the time, right? By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, 
But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, who had not yet come. That's not in the passage, but just a reminder. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
As I said earlier, we would come back to uh, this verse, verse 39 in Hebrews. I wanted to bring just a little clarity so that there wouldn't be confusion. The passage is not saying that the uh, Faith Hall of Fame members, as it's commonly referred to, did not receive salvation. They most certainly did. Rather, what it is saying is that all of these heroes of the faith looked forward to the arrival of Jesus, the arrival, the Messiah. They looked forward to him. He's coming. We know he's coming. We believe in that. We believe in the Messiah, the promised one. They did all of these things through faith in God's promises of the coming Messiah. None of them lived to see Christ's assumption of a human nature and his birth. But they all believed, and they were saved through faith, just as we are today. So besides it being the Christmas season, I wanted to preach on the birth of Christ to remind us what we have faith in, where our assured hope comes from. We are blessed in in great ways to be living on this side of the cross. We get to see the fullness of the plan of the Messiah, where those who had believed in Jesus before the cross were looking towards that promise. They did not get to see it come to fruition. This side of the cross, we see the prophecies of God fulfilled in Christ. We see all of the the shadows and the types find their fulfillment in the great day of Christ's birth, his coming, his arrival. And though we do not need such things to trust in God and his promises, we are nonetheless blessed by being able to see them now. God has spoken, and will he not do it? With all the promises yet to come, church, we can look upon his perfect, flawless record and we can rest assured that they will happen exactly as he has declared they will happen. Jesus himself promised his disciples right before he departed that he was going to prepare a place for them. In his own words, he declared, John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is essentially saying, would I lie to you about this? Why would I say things if they weren't true? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. Jesus cannot lie. Christian, in the Father's house, there are many rooms. Christ Jesus has not only bled and died for your sin, Christian, but he's prepared a place for you. He was named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We as believers should have no lack of hope. Perhaps the various circumstances of life cause us to hope for something better in the temporary, some thing to change our circumstances and I really think that's okay. I think you would have to be not human to not hope sometimes in rough circumstances that things would be different. But we don't hope in the changes of those circumstances. We hope in Christ. I want to remind you today 
sorry, what I want to remind you today is that through faith, we have assurance of the ultimate things that we hope in. There will be a day coming, church, where every tear will be wiped away, where every sickness will be gone, where every shortcoming due to sin will be removed, where there will be no suffering, no pain, no want, no lack, only overwhelming joy in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ forever. If you ever find yourself losing hope due to circumstances, remind your soul of this truth. Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Praise God, church. Remember this truth. As you're going about the next few weeks preparing for Christmas Day, thinking deeply about the Savior being born, him assuming a human nature, entering in the world like you and I did, remember this truth. We're not just celebrating his birth. We're celebrating what he came to do. And he's successful. He cannot fail. The word of God said he will, and he did, and he will. Remember this truth when our circumstances seem bleak. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised ease. We're not promised riches or health. We are promised eternity with the treasure of our hearts, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we who trust in him will have it. Certainty, not wishful thinking. It is as sure as if we were already there, Christian. That's how certain it is. I wanted to wrap up our time with more scripture from the book of Hebrews, and I'm hoping that it will give you some really practical application for the truths that we unpacked today. So uh, hopefully you still have your Bibles open to Hebrews. I meant to tell you to leave it there. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Sometimes I find that I could say a lot about a passage, um, but the passage itself really unpacks and teaches you far better than I could ever do myself. Hebrews 12, 1 through 13. Therefore, or because, because of all that we had just read, right? All those examples of faith, not seeing Christ come yet, but having faith, being counted as righteousness. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted 
and your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, because of all of this, church, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Oh, what hope we have, Christian. Lay aside the sin and the other weights that you've taken up in your life and run this race with endurance. Consider those who ran faithfully and be strengthened. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord, but rest in the reality that he disciplines all of his legitimate children, and he does so in various ways. Do not despise the struggle, but in faith, trust confidently that the Lord is at work, that he will bring himself glory through this and will bring you joy. Lift your drooping head. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame and could be put out of joint would not be put out of joint, but rather would be healed. Do all of this looking to Christ Jesus, the founder, he will save his people, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and completed the work of salvation for all of his people. He will save his people. He cannot fail. And therefore, we as Christians have such assurance of the things that we hope for in our faith. I pray dearly, church, that you would deeply consider these truths and be strengthened in your faith. The Lord is good. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserve for our sins so that he would save his people. He is victorious and he is risen. It is finished was his cry at the cross, and that is truth. I would be remiss to not speak now to those of you here who have not yet turned from your sin and entrusted your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I don't want to say this briefly for a lack of, of, of care for you, but for clarity. All that you may find to place your hope in during this life 
will fail you. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Unbeliever, there is coming a day when you will profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is my prayer and earnest desire that you would repent of your sin and trust in him now as Lord, that you would know the joy of salvation rather than remaining in your rebellion and having no hope now or for eternity. If this is you, would you please come talk to me after the service? I would love to talk to you about it. Christian, Jesus will save you. It's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. Your hope is in Christ. The declaration declaration from Scripture is clear. Jesus will save his people from their sins, period. He cannot fail. You have nothing to worry about in Christ. He has purchased you. He will not lose you. There may be days where you have to remind your soul of this hope. Perhaps a brother, sister in Christ has to remind you. But it doesn't change the reality. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Stand again upon the rock of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you so much for your son. Apart from him, we would have no hope. Apart from him, a lost world hopes in foolish and silly things that are fleeting and dying. Yet you stir our hearts to faith. You give us new hearts with new desires. You grant us repentance, leading us to a knowledge of the truth. All whom you save trust in you, Lord, and we know with certainty that your son has completed his work and that he will save his people from their sins. We stand upon this rock, and we are so blessed, Lord, to do so. We thank you so much for your son, whom we did not deserve. It is our only hope. It's not a wishful hope, but it is a certain hope. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would stir this reminder in our hearts that your spirit would remind our souls in in the days of trial and the days of struggle, the days of strife, the, the seasons that are long and hard and heavy. Would your spirit remind us of our hope, our faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. We love you, Lord. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen.